Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. That's page 602 in your pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, there should be a brown pew Bible somewhere nearby if you want to hunt one up. It's page 602, 602 in your pew Bibles. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Becca. And you're thinking, wow, that was shorter than normal. It is. Let's pray together. Father, as we as a church take this season to renew our vision to center ourselves on the mission and the purpose that you have called us into existence for, would you come to us and would you open our hearts? Would you use your word in our hearts and in our lives and shape us by your word that we would be your people, a people living out your mission in the world? Lord, we believe that you love Dade County and you have purposes for Dade County. We pray that you would just open our eyes and our hearts to see your vision, your purpose for this place, why you have put us here, so that we would be compelled to live for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So kids, I'll start off with a question for you guys. You might not have an answer for this one, but at least it's something that you can be pondering a little bit. Have you ever thought about this question? What is your purpose What is your purpose for living? Why has God put you on this earth? What is your purpose in your school and in your family and in your neighborhood? You might never have thought about that very much. What about for your family? What is your family's purpose? Have you talked about this as a family? Families, I'd encourage you. That's a great question to ponder together around the dinner table this week. What? Look around at your family, you're sitting around at the table and say, what's our purpose here? Kids, what do you think our purpose is? What do we exist for? What has God called us into this neighborhood and this community and and, and all the places that we are, our school, our, our workplaces, what has he put us here for? So critical to be able to understand that as people, as God's people. So this is a great question to start off with as we start... This morning, we start our Vision and Mission series. We, we always take the month of August, the month of January, as really important times where we really center and drill down on this question of, why are we here? What is our purpose as a church? God has a mission for His church. Uh, it's not just that, that, that a church has a mission, He has a church for His mission in the world. And it's so important for us as his people, to understand why has he put us here? What are we here to do? Why did he put us here in Dade County? What are his purposes for our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and this community that we're in? You know, it's very easy to think about, especially as we think about the church, to really miss the significance of that, to think that the church, where a church is, the particular place a church is, doesn't really matter. In other words, sometimes we think of church and The church is in a particular place, but we don't think that there's any reason for that particular place. So if a church were to uproot and move to a different place, the only thing that would change is the direction that we drive in the morning. It can be easy to think that a church is, that's just a place where I go to do my Christianity thing. 
And sometimes we can miss the significance of why would God put a church in a particular community? What is his reason for that? What are his purposes for that? We do not believe it's an accident that this church is in Dade County. In fact, we had a real sense as we started this church that God wanted this church right here in this community because he loves this community. So part of what we're talking about in our uh, vision series is that we are a church in Dade for Dade. So part of the reality of who we are, we are in this place and called to be for this place. To be, what does it look like to be a church that exists for the good of a particular community? That's what we're going to talk about. That our mission as a church is to seek the common good, the flourishing of Dade County as a whole. Now it's challenging for us to really have that kind of a shift in our, our minds and in our hearts to understand in that way, I think the biggest challenge that we have as believers, as a church even, to live in this way is how easily we individualize Christianity, especially in our culture. What I mean by that is that it's so easy, particularly in American culture and in the West, to think of Christianity as being a private thing, that it's about me and Jesus. It's about my personal relationship with God. It's about my personal individual growth. And that is what Christianity is all about. Now let me say, those things are wonderful. I don't want to minimize that in any way. Your personal relationship with Jesus is fundamental. It's so very important. But what so easily happens is that we make it all about us. We make it all about our individual relationship with Him and we fail to see just how corporate Christianity is. How much God intends not only to unite us to Himself but to one another to make us into a people. We so easily miss that as we come to the Scriptures. So... Understanding this changes so much about the way that we live the Christian life. It also impacts the way that we view the church. When we're thinking of Christianity in exclusive terms, it's about my individual relationship with God. What we tend to do the church is that we make it just simply a building or a service. We talk about that a lot. It's just an event I go to, or it's a place that I go in order to get personally filled up. It's a place that I go to get a personal benefit. I go to get a, uh, a spiritual product. I go to this place because it's going to lift me up so that I can go out and live. Now, again, it's good for a church to minister to you personally. But when that's all we are thinking about whenever we're thinking about the church, we're missing so much of what God intends for us. The church is not like the food court at the mall. You know, when you go to the food court at the mall, you're hungry, you know, your belly's growling. And what do you do? You look around in there and you say, huh, we got Chinese, we got Chick-fil-A, you know, we got Mexican over here. What, what do I hungry for today? Right? I don't have any allegiance to any one of those people. It's like, what, what is the flavor of the day? What, what do I want today? Sometimes we think of the church in that way. Where's a place that I go according to my tastes? That's not what God has called the church to be. He's called it to be a people United to one another on mission together. So what is our purpose? What is our mission? Here's what we're going to see in our passage today. Our mission as a church is to seek the common good, the flourishing of Dade County. Another way to put that 
is that our mission as a church is to make Dade County a wonderful place to live. How does that strike you? Does that seem very spiritual to you? Doesn't seem like a very spiritual statement, does it? I hope what we'll see from our passage today, that that is deeply spiritual and very much at the heart of what our mission is as a people. So let's look at our verse, just a verse today. You might be thinking, my gosh, that's just so, we're we're used to long passages, right? Where the pastor goes on and on and on, he's got to explain everything. Mercifully, that's not going to happen to you today. We're looking at one single verse, but let me caution you right here. This verse is packed with significance and meaning. In one way, the whole book of Proverbs is bound up in this one verse. So let's look at it together. You know, we said before, we just got out of a series where we're looking at Proverbs, and you're like, oh my goodness, Proverbs again? Well, I just couldn't resist for this one as we're starting on our Mission and Vision series. The thing about a Proverbs is that they're poetry. They're biblical poetry, and they're written in such a way that they're packed with meaning, and you've got to chew on it. You've got to wrestle with it to draw it out. So let's do that for a few minutes to see what God wants to say to us. So here's... Proverbs 11, verse 10. Here's what we read. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That's the first part of it. Now, we saw this over and over in Proverbs. The righteous, that's a very common group of people that really Proverbs is focusing on. Who is that referring to there? Essentially, it is referring to people that at the very bottom of who they are, they fear the Lord. Huge concept in Proverbs, really in the whole Bible. That a righteous person is someone who at the very core of who they are, they fear the Lord. Not, that is not terrified of God, but they, they live their life flowing from a fundamental awe of God. He's the biggest reality in their life. They're centering their life on who He is. Their life is lived in worship in response to Him. That's what it means to be righteous. And Proverbs says this about, the, about those who are righteous, those who are wise... They prosper. In life, whenever you live with God at the center of your life, most often your life is going to prosper. There's going to be increase. There's going to be growth. But look at what this verse is saying here. When that happens, when, a, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. The community rejoices. Now the question this verse wants us to ask is, why? Why is it that whenever the righteous prosper, that those in the city, those who are outside the church, rejoice? Why are they not jealous or resentful or any of those things, but rather on the other side, there are shouts of joy. Literally, the Hebrew is is referring to a battle cry of joy. Like, this is wonderful news. Why is it good news for the community, for the city, for the county in our case, for the righteous to prosper? And what it's teaching us is something that is really at the heart of righteousness. Here's the reason. Because when the righteous prosper, their prosperity is passed on to the community. At the very heart of what it means to be righteous is that you live your life not for you, but for the good of the community. That's at the essence of what righteousness means. You remember our definition? We've... we've, Use this definition. I quoted my seminary professor, Dr. Waltke, who's kind of like Moses, you remember. He was about as old as Moses. But he had this one summary 
of what righteousness means. That righteousness is disadvantaging yourself for the benefit of the community. That's at the heart of it. A righteous person is someone who's willing to hurt themselves and sacrifice themselves and put themselves out so that their neighbor, so that the community that they're a part of, flourishes and benefits. And wickedness is just the opposite. Wickedness is disadvantaging the community, taking from the community for your own personal benefit. That's a a summary, really, of the whole book of Proverbs right there. Do you see that in the verse here? When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices because that means this righteous person is going to be more equipped. They're going to have more resources, more ability to pass that on to the community because they're living their life saying, how do I take care of my community? How do I bless this place that I'm in? That's my calling. That's what I'm living for, not just me. And in the second part of the verse, we see that when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Why is the city rejoicing when the wicked perish? Kind of obvious as we begin to break it down, right? Because the wicked are those who are taking from the community. They're taking advantage of others. They're they're prospering on the backs of the community, not for the community. So when they perish, the city is like, glad we're through with them. You see, this is at the heart of what righteousness is. Now, righteousness, that's a real churchy word. We hear that a lot. And I think oftentimes what we think of whenever you hear of righteousness, so often what we think of is personal piety. By that I mean like personal uh, devotion, personal goodness. We think It's very privatized. We think righteousness means that I'm going to be someone that, that, uh, that, that doesn't... Um, that doesn't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those who do. Have you ever heard of that? Right? It, righteousness means to, it means to keep my nose clean. It means to be a, a good religious person. It means to be someone who's doing my devotions and saying my prayers and going to church. But it's, it's private. Now, all those things are great. Nothing wrong with those. Certainly an aspect of righteousness. But it's not getting at the heart of it. Because the heart of righteousness is irreducibly communal social, relational. It's at the very heart of it. Let me give you a little illustration that I think brings it out. And really how this is, I think for all of us, pretty deep. Now, if you were to go around in Day County and you were to just grab a waitress, really anywhere, and maybe you've done this before, and you ask a waitress, I've shared this before, what, what is the least favorite day of the week for you to work, to wait tables? What are they going to say? Sunday, Why? What, who, who all showing up on Sunday in droves? The church people. The Christians. Now, what, what is behind that? I mean, literally, try it today if you go out to eat. Ask them. Hey, what's your... Be honest now. Give them the permission to be honest. You know, we're not so dressed up. They might not know that you're a religious person. You know, we're pretty informal here. But they might. So give them the freedom to, ask, uh, to answer honestly. But you're going to hear it's Sunday. Now, why is that? Why is it that the people who really in a community you'd think to be the most righteous, I mean, they're in church for crying out loud. They're not sleeping in. It's a pretty day. They're not out on the water. What? These are the people that we see as righteous. Why is it? Why is it that they're the rudest? That they're the worst tippers? Why does that take place? Why is that happening? And I think it's because of this. It's because our skewed understanding of righteousness. 
is because we think that righteousness is essentially about personal holiness rather than holiness in relationship to the community. That if I go to church and I've said my prayers, it really doesn't matter all that much how I treat the people around me, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my coworkers, how I treat my waitress. It's really a measure of righteousness. How do you treat the people that benefit you none? It's a great question. So, at the essence of righteousness is how do I live my life for the good of the community around me? This leads us to ask some really important questions. Really to bring it down and apply it into our own life. Are your your neighbors happy that you live next to them? That's a good question to ponder in your mind. Do my neighbors think it's good news that I live next to them? Do I see my resources in my life? That is my, my time, my money, my gifts. Do I, do I see the opportunities in my life? And as I, I, as I ponder how to use those resources in my life, am I primarily asking what is best for me and my family Or do I ask, what is the best use of my resources for my community? You see how different of a shift that is in your heart and in your priorities? When you think about, where am I going to live? What kind of a job am I going to take? What kind of schools are my children going to go to? What what am I going to be involved in in my community? Are you primarily asking the question, what benefits me? What are my desires? What are my needs? Or are you asking, what is best for my community. See, that's where it gets real. For my neighbors. Am I loving my neighbors? Who said that? Jesus. Jesus said that the second most important commandment is to love your neighbors as yourself. Why would he say neighbors there? You ever thought about that? Why did he have to say neighbors? And here's why. Because you don't pick your neighbors. We pick everybody else. We pick our friends. God picks our neighbors. See, what Jesus wants you to see here is that the person that you are called to love and to benefit is the person that God picks and puts next to you. The proximity of people that live around you, your co-workers. That quirky person, that quirky parent on your kid's soccer team. Right? It's the people that you would never on your own choose to love because who do we want to choose to love? He says, go love your friends or go love who you want to love. Well, we want to love people who are like us, who are not annoying, right? Come on. Who don't have needs. That's who we want to pick. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Love your neighbor because I'm going to pick them. And they're probably going to have needs. They're probably going to be annoying. And they're probably going to be the people that are right around where you are. So often as we think about our mission, we want to see our mission as something we go and do outside of our normal life, right? So the mission is something I, you know, if we're going to have a mission as a church, well, we need to have a particular day. You know, we're going to, for a couple hours, we're going to leave where we live and we're going to go do something over there, benefit those people over there. Nothing wrong with that. But when that's what we see as mission, what we miss is that my mission really is right where he's put me. The people next door my co-workers, the people that are hard to love. That is our neighbor. That is our mission. And listen, there is power in proximity. 
the people that God puts us close to is the greatest power that our love can bring about transformation. But we also need to ask, not just as individuals, what does this mean, but also, what about as a church? We need to ask some questions for ourselves as a church. Are we at Grace Community good news for Dade County? That's a great question for us to ask and to really wrestle with. Is this church being here good for the community? Would, would the city rejoice that this church is here? Are we seeing in any ways our, our community, Dade County, flourishing more so because our church is here? Critical kind of questions. Would there be people in our community that would say, you know, I don't, I don't go to that church. I don't necessarily believe what they believe. But you know, if they were to leave this community, that'd be a real hit. That'd be a real tough shot for our community. Because, you know, they, they matter. They're really benefiting the community. What a tremendous question to ask. Are people saying that about us in our community? Now, let me just be honest. The church, it's hard for the church to really live that out. I mean, you might know that or not know that, but churches are just like individuals. They're just as prone to live for themselves, to to become concerned with their own benefit rather than the community. You know what often happens in a church? A church is only going to do those things out there that is going to directly benefit their church. So there's a great temptation as a church to say, we're only going to do it if it's going to result in us being lifted up in some way. That is like, are are we going to get new people through this? Are we going to grow through this? Are we going to get credit through this? It's so easy for a church to be defined by that and to make its priorities what is going to benefit itself. You know, we've talked a lot about as a church, I mean, my goodness, we went four years without bathrooms. We didn't do that because we don't like bathrooms. We did that because we really believed we have got to always hold this before ourselves and our hearts, that we exist for our community. And so we don't want all of our resources flowing into ourselves. We want our resources flowing into the community. But that is challenging to do as a church. I got a friend who's a pastor in Chattanooga. I'm not going to tell you where he is or some of the details here, but he pastors in a very impoverished neighborhood in Chattanooga. And he's got some friendships with some different churches there. And in that neighborhood, there was a big kind of mega church there. And the mega church, they didn't really have anybody from that community going to their church. Most people were driving in from outside the city to be a part of this church. So this group of pastors reached out and they had a meeting at that church and they wanted to sit down and talk about how can we partner together to help this community. And the spirit of that one pastor of the big church, now not all churches, big churches are like this, that's not what I'm saying. But his response was, well listen, If we're going to do something in the community, you're welcome to join us. But we're going to define how this takes place. And then he said this comment as there was a little tension growing in the room. He said, now I I know all of us are worried about who gets the credit here. And my pastor friend heard that and about hit the floor. We're worried about who gets the credit? He said, no we're not. Who gets the credit doesn't matter at all. What matters is that we be a people who are called to live for the good of this community. Now let me tell you something. 
I'd be lying if that same spirit has never been in my heart. This desire to want to do something for our church that benefits us and to say, who's going to get the press? We are called to be a church that lives not for ourselves, but for our community. That disadvantages ourselves. That is, does things that don't make sense when you're trying to build something for the good of those outside of our doors. Just to be a blessing. Just to make this a wonderful place to live. Now, why would we do that? Because we believe that Jesus is going to make all things new. And that includes Day County. And that compels us as a church. So let me ask this question. How does this connect us to the gospel? We talk all the time as a church about how the gospel, the message of the gospel is the power by which we change and it's at the center of all that we do as a church. So how does the gospel connect to this? Because many times in the church we see there being a, a, a split between those two things. We get nervous whenever we talk about doing social good or common good or any of those things. And we want to say, wait a minute, we got to make sure that we're about getting souls saved. we got to make sure that we're about proclaiming the gospel. And I would say, amen, that is wonderful. But they're not mutually exclusive. If proclamation of the gospel is not connected to and leading to demonstration of the gospel, it rings hollow in our proclaiming. It rings hollow in our mission. You see, they go together. And why do they go together? Because if the gospel is truly penetrating and making its way to the bottom of our hearts, it will make us a people who are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others, for no benefit. Because at the heart of the gospel is that very message. Do you know that we actually believe this really crazy thing? That we believe that the king of the entire universe disadvantaged himself for our direct benefit. That's the gospel. And I mean, we talk about disadvantage. He didn't just put himself out a little bit. He became a part of his creation, emptying himself of glory, walking through life as a poor man, and making himself obedient to the shameful Roman cross so that we might benefit with life. You see, at the heart of that is this kind of ludicrous disadvantage of himself so that we might benefit. And so is that reality, is it work in your heart? As it gets personal, it will make you a person who is willing to sacrifice your time, your goods, your own benefit for the sake of our community around us. It is literally what creates and shapes our life. The gospel creates this kind of life among us. So let me close by just saying this, just to get really practical. What does this look like for us as a church to live this out in Dade County? And I just want to focus on one thing, and I want to focus on this really for our whole series here. might not be what you're thinking pray. We want, that's the starting point. The starting point is that we would be a church that is praying for the good of our community. We got a good start today in our corporate prayer, didn't we? Because prayer, listen, none of this is anything that we can do. 
You realize that? That our goal and our vision is something that we have no power to do. We can't renew a single person. We can't change a community. And when you go try to do that with your power, you end up messing it all up. What we are hoping and aiming to happen in this community is something only God can do. So what does that mean our part is? Prayer. Prayer is the most fundamental way of how we join God in His work in the world. So what we got to do as a people is we got to have our eyes open, be present in our community, and see those things that are not the way they're supposed to be. That's a great definition of sin. Is that it's not the way that things are supposed to be. The brokenness of families. As we look at our schools, what are ways in which our schools need the help of the Holy Spirit to be at work? To be rescuing families and children and orphans and raising people up out of poverty and making the the business community here a more fair and just one. To make our government one that is more focused on equity and justice. Prayer. That is what we are called to do as a community. And that's what we want to focus on in our mission and vision series. Let me stop there just for a minute and give us an opportunity just to interact and to hear from each other. How does that strike you? move you, challenge you, disturb you as we think about our mission, we think about how it's informed and driven by the gospel. Friday, coming home from work, got my grandkids some bagels at Panera, and an older gentleman that's a vet speaks, I speak, and then he's waved me over. And I think, oh my goodness, I'll just put a little bit of money in the thing. And he says, could you get me water? I need to take my medicine. I've just got out of the hospital. And so I went to get his water, and I said, what does he normally eat? And she said, broccoli, cheddar, cheese, soup. So I said, let me have one of those, and I'll take one as well. She said, do you want yours to go? And I, of course, I said, yes. I went, the Holy Spirit just said, no, you need to take time. Sat down with him. And all I did was, it wasn't me. It was, this is Jesus. Please don't think it's me. I let him talk. He Talked about his wife who passed away, cried. He talks about he is, has a shrapnel in his leg from the Afghanistan war. He had just gotten to the hospital. They can't get it out. He's actually lanced his leg and got part of it out. And he is sitting up all night long watching monitors for some security agency. He is sending money that he makes to a nephew who's dying with cancer with her kids. Mm-hmm. He's on the only source of, and just I just let him talk. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you, that was time I thought, well, I got all this to do. No, the Holy Spirit put that little bitty, this is more important than anything mm-hmm. you've got to do. Yeah. And I found out he needed some medication. I happened to have a full ball at home. I'm taking it to him Monday. I'm te- I'm, what you're saying is, go, whether it's Trenton or Panera, just be available. Yeah. Those people are there, Hutch. Yeah. I'm living proof. And it's yeah. not, again, it's Jesus. It's amazing how God works through our prayers to act through us, and and when you pray, it's amazing how God begins to make you aware and prepare your heart for opportunities you would never envision, you can't dream up, you can't create them, that God creates just in everyday life as you go about your way in in the community. Our holiness is not at odds with our righteousness. Right. In terms of our, our personal piety or right. our holiness. Yeah. And, and I think you could say our, our righteousness flows out of our holiness. Yeah. And our, our, our holiness can give a, a substance to our righteousness right. in terms of a consistency of our life with the testimony and the gospel 
that we're that we're trying to to bring. Yeah. And I think if you look at that maybe in the other direction, you could see your your our attempts and our desire to be to be holy in terms of keeping the law personally as a a disadvantaging of ourselves. That is to say we're we're not doing what our flesh wants to do. Yeah. So we're we're dying to our flesh in that way in order to to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to have that holiness in order to love our neighbor as ourself and, and have a testimony that, that brings, we don't bring the substance, Christ is the substance, and yeah. the gospel is the substance of what we're trying to do yeah. in terms of our righteousness to the community. But we want to be able to say that there's a point to this, mm-hmm. and that our life would reflect the fact that there's a point to this. Yeah. And so I think, you know, they, they work together. Sometimes, right. it, you know, maybe we are tempted to see these things are mutually exclusive. Right. Obviously, they're not. I, yeah. I know that's not what you're saying, but yeah. that our righteousness completes our holiness. Yeah. Without the righteousness going out to our neighbor, our holiness is, is pointless or, or it's worse. It's, it's self. Yeah. It's really towards ourself and not towards God in terms yeah. of loving God. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing how profound it really was when Jesus, you know, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Boil it all down. And he gave them two. They asked for one and he gave two. And it's, it is amazing how brilliant that was. I mean, we shouldn't be amazed at Jesus' brilliance, but that he says, these two are inseparable. My seminary professor used to say, it's a photo finish. You know, which, which one's number one? It's a photo finish. It's hard to tell because they're so interrelated. You cannot love your neighbor without loving God. It's impossible. And you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. If you say, I love God, but you don't love your neighbor, Jesus says, you don't love God. So they're so interwoven with each other. And so oftentimes what we have to do is recognize, where am I imbalanced? Sometimes that's each day where I get over to one or the other. And Jesus says, they're both. You can't take them apart. They inform and drive one another. And uh, so that's a, that's a great point. We, we could very easily say, all right, let's do, go do good. Let's not worry about devoting ourselves to falling in love with Jesus. Well, that's not going to do us any good or a community any good. They're, they're both feed off of one another inseparable. It's a great, great point there. Um, Hutch, I think uh, what sort of strikes or struck me as I was listening to you was... Um, as you were talking, really most of the sermon, in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What do I need to do? You know, I need to meet more people or, uh, you know, help more people or do things that are very outward um, or just feel very action-based. Like, I can see the results of this. Yeah. Um, and then to hear you at the end basically boil it down to, like, what we need to start with is pray. Mm-hmm. That sort of, I think that sort of gave me a little jolt of, of realizing how uh, I, without even meaning to, want to do something that directly reflects on me being a good person. Yeah. Being, if I do all these things, they're going to see that I'm a good person <laughs> and I'm going to see the results of my love and my labors rather than if I sit in my room or, or even, even harder, I think, is ask another 
believer to sit down with me and for us together to pray, yeah. the reality is we may never see those results. Or the person yeah. we prayed for, they'll never know yeah. um, that we participated in God's work in their lives in that way. Yeah. And so I think it's just very humbling and challenging to me to think about that as a real action yeah. of prayer. Because I think, and I, I even, I'm, I'm helping out with Inspire Weekend and I'm in charge of the prayer team. Yeah. And that just, I don't know, I think for me that's very like real right now of I am so hesitant to ask others to pray and I'm so distracted to pray myself. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, obviously don't believe that that's an effective action. Yeah, right. So yeah. Yeah. I think it just is really good for me to hear that and yeah. also to be challenged by that and to know that everyone else here has heard that. Yeah. So now I can, without fear, go to any one of you and say, yeah, can right. you pray with me? Yeah, And that's help right. me do that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our prayer lives are such, it's such an, an indicator of what we really believe. You know, I mean, our, in this case, our prayerlessness, which I'm, I'm in that boat, I'm, sh- I'm just assuming many of you are, it just shows, well, I really believe what's going to make stuff happen is me, not God, me. If I really believed that God was the only one that could do all of this, well, I'd talk to him about it a lot more. So it, it, our prayer lives, which humble us all, we'll just get that out of the way right here. None of us are prayer giants. If you are, please pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> but... It, it's, it's really all about, do I really believe you are who you are and that you want to do this and that you're capable of doing this? If I believe that, then I'm going to pray more. It's a great point. I think this passage in your sermon really just fills me up with a lot of hope for, you know, what could come from this. Just the hope of even envisioning the city of Trenton rejoicing. Yeah. You know, with shouts of joy. Yeah. And... I guess I haven't seen that in, you know, in my history books. I haven't seen many cities rejoice with joy. Um, and it's just, it's hard to envision. It's, it's easy to be hopeless mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. oh, Trenton's going to be different yeah. because of the great work God can do through us. Yeah. But I know God has, and I, I really have faith that he will. And I, I know, I think it's going to take, the biggest thing that I was convicted of that this sermon was it's going to take submission to the Lord. It's going to take surrender to Him personally, and I guess as a church too, just like profound surrender. Yeah. And uh, I really hope He does through us. You know, maybe it's going to be a hundred years from now. I yeah. don't know that we see the fruit of it, but yeah, yeah, I think we certainly will. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, Trent. Let me close this now, and we'll close in worship. We're going to sing one of my favorite hymns. For all the saints, we, we sing it uh, occasionally, but it's a, it's a tremendous hymn that really is speaking to our togetherness as a people and our mission together in the world, not only that unites us with other believers in our own day, but throughout history as well, that we are all a part of this great movement of God's grace to make all things new. So as we're singing that, let the hope of that, the confidence of that, he said he's going to do this. Let the confidence of that fill your hearts with worship.